today we're going to begin by reading from Acts chapter 17. In the interests of time, I'm going to leave out some verses and we won't read the whole chapter. But Paul's traveling and they come to Thessalonica where there is a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Then let's judge, uh, jump to verse 10. This is Paul fleeing from uh, Thessalonica because there was trouble there. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Now again, there becomes trouble stirred up and they have to flee. So uh, on their way they go down to Athens, verse 16. While Paul was waiting in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of us asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. This is because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. This is the Philosophical Society of Athens. They said, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. It's their version of Facebook. <laughs> Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Verse 26, from one man he made all the nations. That's important for us to know in these days of racial problems. From one man he made all the nations. We're all related that they should inhabit the whole earth. Jump down to verse 28. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own prophets have said, we are His offspring. 
So we're doing this series as a church where we're, we're thinking about how can we make disciples in this day and age? How can we tell other people about Jesus? And so we're looking at Acts chapter six, 17 today, and I want to share about 10 things with you. Uh, some of them are long, some of them are short, so don't worry, don't judge the 10 on the first one. But I think there's some important points that, that can be made from this passage. And my first point is this, there is no one way to share the gospel with people. We see here in this chapter that Paul uses a variety of different approaches in his efforts to make disciples. Sometimes he's in the synagogues, talking to people, debating with people on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. On other occasions, he's in the marketplace looking for pineapples, pomegranates, and tomatoes. And he's, he starts to share the gospel with who, whoever's there. Paul didn't always plant churches. In one town he went to, he hired a lecture hall. And at lunchtime, for a couple of weeks, he held meetings where he'd talk about Christianity. He used that as a method. They met in people's homes. He met with people one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes in couples, sometimes in big groups. And what determines the way in which we share the gospel usually has to do with who we're trying to reach. There isn't one set way to share the gospel. I'm sure you're all familiar with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, this famous statement on how he adapts the Christian message to fit his audience. And that's what we need to do. We don't change the message, but it's how we share the same message and what parts of the great message we choose to share. That's where the adaptation comes in. Here in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, when I'm with Jewish people, well, I fit right in. I act like a Jew. We eat kosher. We, we, we tell Jewish stories, and, and I tell them about their Messiah. I'm paraphrasing big time here. When I'm with people who have no religious background, who are not under the Jewish law, well, well then I, I hang with them. Uh, if they serve pork, I eat it. Verse 22b, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. Friends, when we're going to share the gospel with people, we have to first understand where they're at, how they're thinking, what their understanding of, of, of spiritual things is. And then once we've ascertained that, share the gospel in a way that is unique and perfect for that individual or that group. In Thessalonica, when Paul is in the Jewish synagogue, with people who respect the Old Testament Scriptures and who believe in their authority, he argues from the Scriptures, showing them that Jesus is their Messiah. But when he's with a bunch of Greeks in Athens who do not accept the Old Testament, he doesn't quote from the Old Testament. What would the point be? They'd be like, well, that's Jewish stuff. That's, we don't go and believe that at all. 
So when Paul is sharing the gospel with the Greeks in Athens, he quotes some of their own poets. You know that phrase, in him we live, move, and have our being? We are his offspring? Those are quotations from, from Greek prophets who weren't even Christians. And so Paul so understands the culture of the people he's trying to reach that he presents the gospel to each kind of person, each group, in a way that's meaningful for them. It's, there's no point sometimes in referring to the authority of, well, the Bible said, or Paul said this, therefore it's true, to a person that doesn't believe Paul or the Bible. Then we have to use a, another approach in sharing our faith. Years ago, I was taught that there is a set way to share the gospel with people. Here are the ten points. It could even be... Uh, it could even be distilled down to four. There were the four spiritual laws. The first one was God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And then it went on to explain that you are a sinner and that this prevents you from experiencing God's love, etc., etc. Then it said you need to invite Jesus into your heart because he died on the cross for you and then you need to press on and grow as a Christian. But there is no set easy way to explain what the gospel is. The gospel cannot be summarized in four simple statements, no matter how clever you might think you are. The Holy Spirit had to write four books, which are called the gospel, to, to explain to us what the gospel is. Paul and Peter had to write many, many letters expounding the gospel which we call the letters. It would be my view that if you think you can summarize the gospel in four statements, it would be my view that you're not doing the gospel justice, that you don't really understand and get and appreciate the, the, the mega-ness of the gospel. The gospel's not about having Jesus in our hearts. The gospel is about God saving and renewing the whole of creation. It's big. It's big and it can't be distilled to four neat sayings. That's not a weakness of the gospel. It is its strength. And apostolic preaching tended to be very different to what we do today. In evangelism. One of the best personal Bible studies I ever did was to go through the book of Acts and to identify every place where the gospel is preached or presented by the apostles. When I did my study, I think I found 22 occasions in the book of Acts where the gospel is presented. And I found two things that are worth sharing today. A, in just about every instance, what got presented at the gospel was a little bit different. And this is the shocker. B, not once in 22 gospel presentations is the love of God ever mentioned in the book of Acts. Yeah. Let that sink in. 
So that's my first observation. There's no right way to present the gospel. If you've seen the TED talk about there's no right tomato sauce. Anybody seen that TED talk? It's actually very good. It makes the point that the only right tomato sauce is the one that is right for that individual client. It's the same with the gospel. There's only one right way to present the gospel, and that's the way that's right for that individual person or that group of people. Let's learn how to become all things to all men so that by all means we may save some. Friends, back in the day when some of us lived in a very homogeneous society that was vaguely Christianized, you could use terms like Jesus, God, Christ, heaven, sin, and people kind of knew what you meant by that. But in today's globalized world, in our multi-faith, heterogeneous society, you can't even begin to talk about sin, heaven, God, Jesus, without doing a lot of explanatory background work. And this also explains why it's, co it's a complex matter to, to share the gospel with people. It's why the Gospels are so long. It's why Paul spent so long talking to people. It's why his sermons were so long that people fell asleep and fell out of windows. <laughs> Sharing the Gospel is no easy feat. And we mustn't dumb it down to think we just go and tell people Jesus loves them and that's the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. It might not even be the beginning. It's some, that's somewhere in the middle. This is why it takes some missionaries 20 years before they win their first person to the Lord. We're naive if we think preaching the gospel is just boom, chuck, oh, now I'm a Christian, great. No, it can take 20 years of hard work to understand a culture, to build trust, to explain concepts, to lay groundwork. Point number two, which I promise will be shorter. In every situation, there are going to be people who do respond warmly to the gospel. Isn't that so good to know? We can think, gee, it's so hard to spread the gospel. How can I convince a person that a God they can't see exists, that a Bible they don't know where it came from is God's word? I mean, it, it's hard to persuade people. The Holy Spirit does that and must do it. And the wonderful thing is that there, in all these accounts of evangelism happening, there, there are always some people that respond to the gospel. Look at us all here today from many different walks of life. Most of us, I presume, are here today because we've believed the gospel. It also amazes me the kind of people that responded to the gospel. Who were some of Jesus' uh, great people that came to believe? It was the prostitutes. It was the, ca the state capture crowd back in the day who were the tax collectors. They kind of had this quasi-relationship with the state and they ripped everybody off. 
They, along with the prostitutes, were the first to sign up to become Christians. And the good people, the Pharisees and the, the intelligentsia of society, they weren't interested in the gospel. The rich young ruler with all his wealth and cool clothes, and he wasn't interested in the gospel. But God draws people to Himself. And that's why we can share the gospel and we can be confident that there are going to people, be people that will respond. Take heart. And, and the, one of the great things about doing evangelism is the shocking discovery of who it is that lands up becoming a Christian. It's, it's hardly ever the ones we think. Third point. And I raise this point because I'm trying to preach expositorily, and if there's something in the Bible, I want to make note of it. In each situation when Paul visits these towns to preach and teach, the point is made about women becoming followers of Jesus. And often it's prominent women. That isn't said just once here. I think it's said three times in this passage. The gospel really appealed to women. Far from oppressing women, the gospel empowered women. And women loved Jesus. He treated them with respect. Women also played a prominent role in the growth of the church as they do today. Let's have that verse. There were a group of women that traveled around with Jesus and the 12 disciples. The 12 were with him, end of verse 1. And also some women who'd been saved by Jesus. Verse 3 is significant. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. I mean, we're talking seriously powerful woman here. The wife of the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others, these women were helping to support Jesus, not with their husband's money, out of their own means. Women bankrolled the earthly ministry of Jesus. Fourth point. Just as there are always going to be people that accept the gospel, we're always going to run into opposition. We're always going to run into opposition. In Thessalonica, there's a, there's a mob of bad characters that get rounded up to start a riot. In Berea, people follow them and come to agitate and cause trouble. In Athens, among the philosophers, some of them sneer and mock Paul. This can be hard for those of us that are sensitive. Nobody likes rejection. Nobody tells to, likes to be told, no, I don't want to hear that. So just as there will always be people that will respond to the gospel, there will always be those two that will reject what we have to say. And we need to be ready for that. And ready for persecution. I've got a few verses here about persecution, but... Uh, I'll just go through them very quickly. I mean, we know Saul persecuted the church before he became Paul and then started to help the church and found himself on the other side of the persecution. 
Paul was there when Stephen, the first ever Christian martyr, was stoned to death and Saul looked after everybody's garments so that they could uh, roll up their sleeves and stone Stephen with finesse. There is a cost to be paid for sharing our faith. People aren't always going to like what we have to say. The gospel is offensive to the human heart. Nobody wants to be told they're a worthless sinner and can do nothing to save themselves and that they're destined to hell. I mean, that's not a pleasant message. Let me say a few words about Christians and persecution. It is truly horrific what happened in Christchurch, New Zealand at noon on Friday. The massacre in a, in a mosque of, of Muslims praying. That is truly terrible. And it made headlines across the Western world. And I'm sure the Muslim world too, given the situation. But Christian churches are burnt down like that all of the time. And you don't see that in the newspaper, do you? There's terrible persecution happening around the world in many countries. Of course, in communist countries, things have really turned bad in China in the last few months. In, the, in many Muslim-dominated countries, um, there's no freedom of religion. But we've also got our own troubles here. Do you know that our government has been planning for the last years and months to regulate churches. Sure, it's a legitimate attempt to, to try to like keep rogue pastors in check. Uh, but instead of keeping rogue, rogue pastors in check, they should rather just be putting them in prison because there's already laws for doing that. But they're going so far, this commission, to, to want to um, license anybody in South Africa who's allowed to preach and teach. And it's so far as sermons have to be submitted before the time to be vetted by some government bureaucrat. Yeah, this is real stuff, and it's happening right now. They obviously don't understand how Baptists operate. I mean, we're the priesthood of all believers. Do you know how many applications for, for ministry licenses they'd have to, have to be issuing? The church, the government also tried to tell Christian parents that they couldn't spank their two-year-olds anymore. But take heart, they backed off last week. Yeah. I mean, I'm a great believer in spanking. How else do you tell a two-year-old that what they're doing is not great? Have a conversation with them? <laughs> Obviously, it's a, it's a smack with all the love in the heart in the world. <laughs> but there's more trouble on the horizon. The Dutch Reformed Church in this country voted... First, for homosexuality, 
and uh, homosexual clergy and all the rest of it and gay marriage. Massive backlash. Then they said, we're changing our minds. No, we're going back to our traditional position. I think a week or two ago, the high court ruled that no, they have to revert back. And now the, the judicial structures of our country are getting involved and want to mandate what churches can preach. It's just one further step. There's no technical difference between what they're doing in China and that, quite frankly. They're already evangelical Christians that have been locked up in Canada for their faith. Yeah. Moving swiftly on. When it comes to evangelism, we need to learn to work as a team. Acts 17 verse 1, we read, When Paul and his companions, Paul moved around in a gang. You know, we always think that evangelism is something we do by ourselves. Lonely me out there, all by myself. No, Paul moved around in a big group. We're here to preach the gospel. Jesus sent people out two by two. I think we, we sometimes fail to see the power of, of a group of people working together. Christians being hospitable, reaching out, sharing our faith. I see in verse 2 that Paul shared his faith as was his custom. Paul went into the synagogue on on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. God wants to use us to share our faith when we're doing what we would do anyway. If you're a soccer mom, share your faith with other soccer moms. If you're part of the Plumbers Association, that's your mission field. Point seven, sharing about Jesus is, is multifaceted. Verse 2, when Paul is, is sharing the gospel, we see he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. There's a place sometimes to look at the logic of what people are saying and what they believe. He reasoned with them. He explained things. Sometimes people don't believe things because they just don't know enough. You've got to explain. Sometimes we've got to prove things, demonstrate. Sometimes we just proclaim. That's when you just say a thing. Put it out there. One thing we do notice in Acts chapter 17 is that Paul doesn't do any miracles. He doesn't say, I want to preach the gospel to you. Now look at these signs and wonders. In the story of Lazarus and, this, and the, the rich man, they asked Jesus, can't someone go back from the dead? Uh, because then if people see that miracle, they will believe. And Jesus says, no, that's not going to help, even if someone comes back from the dead. And you know, after Jesus' resurrection, and he's walking on the Damascus road, do you know how he proves the resurrection of the Messiah to the people he's with? He could have just lifted up his shirt and said, look, it's, it's me. I've come off the cross. What an awesome miracle. 
That's not what Jesus does. He starts in Genesis and he works his way through God's word, showing that Jesus had, that he had to rise from the dead. I find that absolutely mind-blowing. He's just risen from the dead, and now he's trying to show people that he's risen from the dead, but instead of giving them physical evidence that they can see with their eyes, he uses the scriptures to show that the Christ must rise. Point eight, how much do we care for people? We read while Paul was waiting in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. Often Christians are accused of being judgmental. And often we are. We look at the things secular society is doing, their sin, the mess they get themselves into, and we can look down on them and think we're better. We can be judgmental. But this is different. Paul feels distressed by what he sees. It distresses Paul that God is not being worshipped as he ought to be. It distresses Paul that people are worshipping idols and becoming like them. It distresses Paul that people are going to hell. It distresses Paul that people are missing out on a relationship with God. My prayer is that God would help us to be distressed. Not judgmental of other people, but distressed that they're not enjoying a relationship with God that they could be. In Romans 9, Paul puts it this way. He's got such a heart for the Jewish people. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. That's the depth of feeling that Paul has about his desire to share the gospel with other people. He's distressed and he has unceasing anguish. May God give us that same heart. Point nine. How well do we understand and appreciate the culture of the people we're trying to reach? You see, before you can present the gospel to someone, you have to understand them. And when Paul's at Athens, he knows where these people are at. He studied their parts. He's looked at their religious beliefs. And now he can present Jesus to them in a way that's meaningful for them. You've always known deep in your heart there's this God out there that you don't know who He is. You've got this belief. And Paul uses that as a point of connection to tell them about Jesus. Do we really understand the people we're trying to reach? And the longer we've been a Christian and the more we've been in church, I think the less we understand where people are at. And finally, there's the call to repentance. Verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world. Let's leave it right there. Let's pray together. Lord, we've 
looked at this passage, Act 17, and we pray that you would help us to draw the lessons from this passage that is most pertinent and, and relevant to each one of us here today. Lord, help us to not be judgmental of people who are different to us or who don't live up to our moral standards. Help us rather to, to be distressed by what we see. Give us Paul's heart for people. Help us, Lord, to, to truly understand the, the people you're calling us to reach. That as we go about our daily lives, to have our eyes open to the opportunities you've given us. And thank you that everywhere we go, there will be people that you will call to yourself. Give us courage to face the persecution that will come our way. And Lord, will you please make us fishers of men, disciple makers of people who in turn will be able to disciple others. And all God's people said, Amen.